This episode of the 10-8 Podcast is brought to you by Street Cop Training. Street Cop Training is the premier law enforcement training company that is literally changing law enforcement as we know it. These guys are the best in the business. I've been to several of their classes, and they are hands down the best training I've ever attended. They currently have more than 25 instructors out in the field across the country, changing the career of cops all over. They are also having a huge conference in Atlantic City, New Jersey, October 4th through 8th, 2021. And the lineup is nuts. It includes the likes of Marcus Luttrell, Tommy Lahren, Tim Kennedy, Dakota Meyer, and many more. As well as all the amazing instructors they have, Dennis Benino, Kenny Williams, the Red Ninja, Rob Ferrero, Brad Gilmore, Tom Rizzo, and so many more. Check out their Instagram and their Facebook page for free daily training or... Go to streetcop.com to register for one of their amazing classes. You will not regret it. The views and opinions expressed on the 10-8 podcast are those of the authors and guests individually. They do not necessarily reflect an official policy or position. The 10-8 podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not affiliated with any entity, agency, or department. afternoon and good evening and welcome to episode 41 of the 10-8 podcast once again this is officer y i took a week off and i'm back but i tell you what guys the wait is worth it today is a treat it is a treat and a half it is like the treat when you go in the kitchen late at night and you know you you, you want like a snack but you don't want anyone to see it you get it out of the cupboard or the pantry or the, the fridge you sneak it it is that good so good you're not going to want to tell anyone about it, but you better because that's how the show grows. We have today the 108 Leadership Academy Part 1. Today we have joining us Under Sheriff Kevin Malone from Nevada. We have Captain Tom Rizzo from New Jersey. And we have Sergeant George Franick from Connecticut. Those are all friends of the show, and we are happy to have them. Um, so, listen, this show is going to be so good that you're going to want to listen to it if you're a junior officer, you're going to want to listen to it if you're a supervisor, if you're going to be a supervisor, or if you just like bitching about supervisors, this is the episode for you. Also, as I just want to say as a disclaimer, as we lead into the episode, Sergeant Lamont Quarker from California, he was supposed to join us, but he got held up in court and he did not make it. Um, but I'll cover that throughout the episode. So, uh, the conversation did run a little long. 
Um, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking in the beginning of the episode, but be sure to stay tuned for a very um, personal code four check after the interview. So um, without further ado, here we go. There are two things that I think that great leaders need to have, empathy and perspective. And I think these things are very often forgotten. Leaders are so often so concerned about their status or their position in an organization, they actually forget their real job. And the real job of a leader is not about being in charge, it's about taking care of those in our charge. And I don't think people realize this, and I don't think people train for this. When we're junior, our only responsibility is to be good at our jobs. That's all we really have to do. And some people actually go get advanced educations on, so that they can be really good at their job. And you show up, and you work hard, and the company will give us tons and tons of training how to do our jobs. They'll show us how to use the software, they'll send us away for a few days to get trained in whatever it is that we're doing for the company. And then they expect us to go be good at our jobs. And that's what we do, we work very hard. And if you're good at your job, uh, they'll promote you. And at some point, you'll get promoted to a position where we're now responsible for the people who do the job we used to do, but nobody shows us how to do that. And that's why we get managers and not leaders because the reason our managers are micromanaging us is because they actually do know how to do, do the job better than us. That's what got them promoted. Really what we have to do is go through a transition. Some people make it quickly, some people make it slowly, and unfortunately some people will never make that transition at all. Which is we have to go this, through this transition of being responsible for the job and then turning into somebody who's now responsible for the people who are responsible for the job. And as I said before, one of the great things that is lacking in most of our companies is that they are not teaching us how to lead. And leadership is a skill like any other. It is a practicable, learnable skill. And it is something that you work on. It's like a muscle. If you practice it all the days, uh, you will get good at it and you will get, become a strong leader. If you stop practicing, you will become a weak leader. Like parenting, everyone has the capacity to be a parent doesn't mean everybody wants to be a parent, and doesn't mean everybody should be a parent. Leadership is the same. We all have the capacity to be a leader. Doesn't mean everybody should be a leader, and it doesn't mean everybody wants to be a leader. And the reason is because it comes at great personal sacrifice. Remember, you're not in charge, you're responsible for those in your charge. That means things like when everything goes right, you have to give away all the credit. And when everything goes wrong, you have to take all the responsibility. That sucks. It's things like staying late to show somebody what to do. It's things like when something does actually break, when something goes wrong, instead of yelling and screaming and taking over, you say, try again. When the overwhelming pressures are not on them, the overwhelming pressures are on us. At the end of the day, great leaders are not responsible for the job. They're responsible for the people who are responsible for the job. They're not even responsible for the results. I love talking to CEOs and say, what's your priority? And they put their hands on their hips all proudly and say, my priority is my customer. I'm like, really? You haven't talked to a customer in 15 years. <laughs> There's no CEO on the planet responsible for the customer. They're just not. They're responsible for the people 
who are responsible for the people who are responsible for the customer. The boss of all bosses, right. aka he who the king of the mouth is was one no losses who wanna compete. Alright, we are back and welcome or I am welcoming to the show uh some great leaders from around the country and um we're gonna have an open conversation about leadership and what we can do to make law enforcement better. So I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna introduce them and I'll let them introduce themselves. So we're gonna start from the great state of Connecticut. Uh, we have George Frannick. He Go ahead and uh, introduce, introduce yourself, George. Tell us, you know, who you are, uh, your rank and all that, all that stuff, your usual like resume snapshot. Oh, lovely. Uh, so I'm uh, George Frannick. I'm a sergeant with a local town here in Connecticut. Uh, 18 years law enforcement experience. Currently just had my first year as a sergeant but served on serious traffic accident reconstruction team, FTO, Explorer Advisor, Cadet Explorer Advisor, uh, firearms, um, school resource officer. So a little bit of everything except for the detective division. Okay, very good. And we're going to go right down in the tri-state area. We have Captain Tom Rizzo. What's going on, sir? Hey, how's it going today? Good. Um, I am currently in my 20th year. I'm a captain in a pretty large scale agency as far as New Jersey standards are concerned. Started my career off right after September 11th uh, and I've uh, been rocking and rolling ever since. I've done pretty much everything under the sun as far as um, in the law enforcement game, short of traffic, ironically enough. So we're opposite that way. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I've been teaching uh, in the college game outside of law enforcement, outside, not you know, associated with criminal justice. And I think that that's been key uh, to my exposure for different type of people. I have a little bit of a business background and I've just been having fun ever since. I love developing the, you know, the next generation. I think that's the key to what we're going to see, you know, for a better tomorrow for all of us. And I'm happy to be here. I uh, checked my big, and I appreciate the support, the big item off my bucket list. I just wrote my first book and I'm happy to get it out there, man. Very, very cool. Welcome. And now we're going to go out west. We have Nevada. We have, or Nevada. I got to work on that. Yeah, there you <laughs> we, go. We have Deputy Sheriff Kevin Malone. What's going on, man? Uh, not much. Thanks for having me back. Um, so my name is Kevin Malone. Uh, I'm the uh, current undersheriff for a, I guess, a small to medium-sized county in Nevada. Um, I say medium um, as to personnel. We have uh, like 42 sworn, I think, but we cover 10,000 square miles. Um, oh, my God. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're huge. And uh, I've kind of done it all. I mean, as a as a deputy sheriff out in a rural area, you kind of have to do it all. So um, started in uh, detention, uh, worked in uh, dispatch for a little bit when I was injured, uh, went out to the road, um, done detectives, coroners, um, you know, just kind of worked my way up and. Um, I've been the undersheriff for almost uh, three years now, and prior to that, I was a captain, and um, prior to that, I was on the road. Very cool, and joining us in just a little bit when he wraps up at court, we will have Sergeant Lamont Quarker, a uh, big friend of the show, and we will uh, we'll go with that. So, 
Um, this episode is going to be all about leadership. There's a lot of, you know, there's always that joke that leadership just doesn't care about the guys on the ground. And uh, this episode is going to try to break some barriers and kind of talk to the guys on the ground and hopefully current and aspiring supervisors about what they can do better. Um, originally, this was just going to be a conversation between uh, Tom and myself. And then I was like, I'm not a supervisor. I don't have the right things to say. So let's make this a group discussion with other great leaders that I've talked to. And here we are. So I'm really glad you guys uh, agreed to come. I, so we're going to start. The question I'm going to ask is why, why did you guys decide to move up in your career? Uh, what was it that started, you know, when you were starting out, what made you want to start to promote? We're going to start with George. So given my, my kind of storied career in terms of different things, um, it wasn't until recently where I actually put in effort. You know, the test would come out. We have a testing process. It's every two years. Um, you have to have at least five years on uh, to even take the test. Uh, must have a bachelor's degree. Um, so I, I've taken the test before. It wasn't until recently where it was, you know, about the 15-year mark uh, where I was like, you know what, I, I need a change. Um, I want to do something different. My department was starting to have a lot of issues, not just the, the outside factors, but inside factors. And I also, I, I saw where we had some good leadership, but we also had a lot of bad leadership and it was more towards the senior, senior guys who just didn't care anymore. And is that old adage? Well, you lead from the front. If you want change, you want to affect change, you have to be the one to do it. Um, and that's kind of where I, I, this last testing process, I said, you know what? Nah, I'm kind of done with the guys getting beat up on. Um, and I, I want to do something different. I want to actually be an instrument of change uh, for the culture of my PD. Now, again, it's also one of those things where I'm going to go change the world. Look, you got to send it realistically. I want to help my group. If I can help my group, then that, that influence can expand. Um, I've been very fortunate. I've had a lot of leaders uh, compliment my group or groups. Um, because of just their change. Well, that, that comes from leadership. That comes from a lot of different factors. But I, I truly think that you'll get more production. You'll get guys feeling comfortable and safe when they know that they have a good leader who's going to have their back. So I wanted to be that change. Very good. And um, since you've been promoted, have you seen that you've been able to affect change the way you wanted to? Yes and no. Um, there's, there's been some things where it, I've, I've changed kind of the culture of my group. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that was kind of the, the set standard, uh, for me, that was, that was my goal. Um, but realistically, I also said, you know, what, I need to go third shift because day shift is just too much. Um, so I went midnights, um, right now due to scheduling conflicts and things like that, I'm probably going back to day shift because of family requirements. Um, but I also have a different viewpoint of it. Um, mm -hmm. It's difficult because for us, our hierarchy, we have, we have a definitive pinch point. Um, so I'm one of two sergeants that work the road on a shift. We have one lieutenant. On day shift, that is the pinch point. So everything coming up from patrol goes through that one seat. Everything coming down from the north wing, uh, our admin, uh, deputy chiefs and, and chief come through him. Well, the problem is they don't always follow the chain of command. So it, it gets frustrating and it's hard but I don't want my guys to see that. I'll gladly sit there and, and close the Lieutenant's door and say, look, we got to talk. This, this is just 
nonsense. And nine times out of 10, the Lieutenant doesn't even know what's going on. Mm -hmm. Whereas on third shift, there's no admin. We're kind of the land of misfit toys and we run our ship. Um, so it, it's a little easier and it kind of depends on the shift. It, it depends on who's working, unfortunately. Um, but I've, I've seen positive change with my group. I've even had guys who are not even in my group who are working overtime go, Hey, I'm working with you tonight. Yeah. All right, cool. Like that, that, that means something to me. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've definitely noticed that too. We were talking before I pressed record that that is exactly what happened to me over the past few days yep. where I was working overtime. The Sergeant asked me if I could stay late and help him out. And because it was him, I wanted to. So I get that. Um, we'll go to Tom. What, what about you? Why did you decide to promote and you know you're a captain so you continued to promote so what what was that drive you know it's funny i am i guess maybe the anomaly um i was i joined the military when i was 18 i joined the army and i was going to go that route and then i shifted gears and went back and came became a police officer but i had that subservient background and my attitude was i would follow the right person into the gates of hell but they had to be the right person they had to be the smartest didn't have to be the best uh, but they just have to be the right person. And and I know that sounds like a cliche, but I think that the person who has the integrity to just do the right thing, um, and it sounds so simple, but man, we complicate the hell out of that theory. Mm -hmm. So I just, uh, I, I know this sounds kind of, I guess, nasty, but I mean it with the utmost humility. I just got tired of taking direction from the wrong people. So I looked at it as I wanted to be an interdiction guy. I still continue to do that as I got promoted, but uh, that really was my goal. However, uh, I just had the attitude of, I know that I'm just going to be walking myself into a brick wall following these leaders that I had at the time um, that were statutory leaders, but not, you know, um, symbolic leaders. So mm -hmm. I, I saw them serving themselves and not the organization and not developing anybody and being threatened. So I knew um, sort of, you know, like a lot of people say, it's either you could become part of the problem or be part of the solution. So I, I, again, I say with humility, taking tests, I, I've never been impressed with, you know, there's a psychology behind it. I'm not trying to, you know, degrade anybody who's done well on tests. Uh, I'm just saying, but uh, I was fortunate that I was a good test taker. So I attributed that to it, but uh, I wanted to do it for the right reasons. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as you've gone, you know, uh, with your, with your book and, and street cop and, you know, the things that I know you from, you're obviously continuing to promote that change and kind of change that culture. Have you seen it on your side as, as, you know, from the top down, have you seen the culture kind of change behind you? Yeah, I certainly have. And again, I, I like to use the H word humility because I don't want to sound like I'm bragging, but I'll, I'll say what I'm most proud of. Um, I could say in one particular case, there's an officer, uh, I, I used to proudly say that I was the best that we had in, as far as the interdiction stuff is concerned. And I'm, I'm proud to say that there's an officer that we have here that I say no doubt is better than I ever was. And I take pride in that. If I know that I had one tenth of a percent of that equation, I think I've done something right. Mm -hmm. uh, we have another officer on loan with the FBI as a task force officer that we never had before. Uh, and again, these are the things I didn't let my ego and my insecurity stand in the way of other people's progress. So if, if even in that regard that I feel that I've impacted the culture just in that alone, never mind just having a good time, um, I pride myself in knowing people's first names. And I find that to be somewhat contagious. And I see how other people interact with each other. So, you know, I, I always say it's a blend of two things, professional and personal knowledge. Professional knowledge comes in all the training that we do, the books that we read and, you know, podcasts and the like and all that. 
the personal knowledge is what takes the time and the energy. And when I see that happening with other people, um, I think that that has a little bit to do with me and I'm most proud of that. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And Kevin, what about you? Why, why did you decide to promote? And again, you're, you're what number two, where you work now? Right. Yeah. Right. So, so, I mean, uh, just, so, uh, you know, obviously I, I'm a political appointee. Um, I get that. Um, you know, I get that. Um, you know, if, if I piss the sheriff off, you know, I'm, I'm out the door. Um, at the same time, you know, I have that fine balance of keeping our personnel happy, um, keeping them trained, getting them the best equipment that I can um, within the budget um, and keeping, you know, the boss happy. So um, it, it, it's a fine balancing act sometimes, but um, I've found that if you um, keep your focus on your people and not, um, you know, like Tom just said, you know, the self-serving people, you know, we've all, we've all dealt with them. We, I, I think probably the best leadership training I've had is having shitty leaders um, and knowing that I never want to, you know, be like that person. So, you know, I focus on my people, um, you know, first names are a huge thing. You know, they, they go a long ways. Um, they know that they're not a number. They know that they're just not, you know, a, a name that fills a roster. Um, you get to know your people, you get to know their families, their kids' names, um, you know, it goes a long ways. And even if you can't, um, give them something like some type of specialized training or some piece of equipment or something, they still know that you got their back. And, um, and that said, when, when the, uh, complaints come in, because everybody complains about everything, you know, when those complaints come in, you know, it, it's really tough when they start with the sheriff, you know, in, in a small town, you know, like everybody knows the sheriff, you know, mm-hmm. so a lot of times they go straight to him, you know, and then he funnels that down to me and, you know, I have to be careful with it because, you know, if it's a bullshit complaint, you know, I have to figure out a way to stop it right then and there, but yet keep the sheriff happy with it as well. So he doesn't lose a vote. Um, and, you know, and, and you just figure it out sometimes. And, you know, I initially said no to this position because I, I didn't want to be this person. I didn't want to be in this office. I loved being a cop. I loved being on the road. Um, I, I just... I just love that part. And, and I loved, um, you know, helping the, those junior, you know, trainees or people fresh off FTO, you know, learn more about the job and, you know, hone their skills. And, uh, you know, I, I, as I, after I said, no, you know, the, the sheriff was, you know, just like, well, think about it. So I went home, I talked to my wife and, um, I mean, honestly, the pay is, is worse. Um, you know, I give up overtime. I mean, sure, I'm on straight days, but you know, when that phone call comes in in the middle of the night, I, I have to answer it, um, and I don't get that overtime. So um, I actually gave up money about, you know, ten thousand a year, you know, mm. with the overtime and stuff like that. But you know, it, it gave me a chance to put my money where my mouth is and um, just step up and, and be that leader that I always wanted. And, uh, and I did, you know, so, you know, the first podcast we did, you know, I said that, you know, I used to be a medic as well. And, uh, my paramedic, um, chief, um, he was an outstanding leader and I was lucky enough that, um, he kind of took me under his wing and taught me how to write grants, taught me how to write policies and, and things like that. So, um, I could offer more to my agency and, and, you know, get, 
free training, free equipment and things like that. Yep. I mean, you know, we see from the road, right. I'm, I'm talking from my experience. We see, you know, the Sergeant come down, he's yelling at us about something, you know, maybe we'll hear the Lieutenant yell at us or whatever, but I think there's so much on the back end that we don't realize, or we don't know about. Um, that's what I really like, you know, talking to someone like you, Kevin, or, or even you, Tom, like those are behind the door conversations that we just don't see. Um, so what about the, the new leaders or the current leaders? What are some qualities that need to be possessed? Like if guys aren't doing that, they need to start doing that. You know, what, what would you guys recommend? Uh, we'll start with Tom. Uh, I think the simplest answer and the most basic answer is employing empathy in an empathetic manner instead of sympathy. What we're good at as a culture is the, doing the sympathy. And the way that I teach this is I compare the two and contrast the two. You know, sympathy is the last wake that you went to and you offer your condolences. You might even shed a tear. But then in less than 10 minutes, you're in the back of the room, you know, smoking and joking uh, because you're what? You're sympathetic to why you're there. But then the sympathy comes and goes like a mood swing. Empathy, on the other hand, is that actual connection of like, you know, OK, I, I don't know what it's like to lose a dog, but I do know what it's like to lose somebody that I love. So you might have loved your dog. So I understand how it hurt me and I understand how you might be hurting. The reason why I say that is I think that if we invested, it's a compounded interest, right? If we invest that type of empathy into our people inside the walls of our buildings, that becomes a compounded interest in, in how they go out and, you know, interact with the public. It, it's a, it's literally like that, you know, in this case, opposites do not attract, you know, we treat each other like shit on a daily basis and don't even have what I call grocery line etiquette toward one another inside our buildings. But then we expect our people and our personnel to go out and treat the, the motor in public with, you know, the utmost kindness and courtesy. That just doesn't work. You know, we're confusing the hell out of it. Um, and that is, that's so simple. It doesn't cost, it's not a budget item. Um, you know, it doesn't cost as far as you don't need to hire additional personnel. I'm talking about literally like, you know, exchanging greetings in the morning and passing each other and say, hey, you know, how's everything at home? Or I know you just had a baby or I know, you know, your missus maybe just was involved in a, in a minor fender bender. You know, do you need a rental car? I mean, these little these little common courtesies that there's no policy directive on it. I understand that. But I think that, you know, we've advanced the narrative so much that we see robotic dogs. And now in Georgia, you see, you know, shoot to incapacitate. And we, you know, I don't understand. We're acting like the answer to this equation is in advanced physics when I think it's <laughs> developed. It's in the development of people. It's going back to basics, man. It's so simple. It's, it's almost like kindergarten rules where if you don't have anything nice to say, just be nice. You know, and, and Tom, you're a hundred percent correct. Um, you know, I, I was, my wife was a dispatcher and I actually went to the Academy with one of her sergeants. And when I got promoted, she had told me, Hey, this was something that I think makes a lot of sense. Every day, this sergeant would every week would spend 30 minutes just going through and doing a check-in on his people to make sure that they were doing okay. And it wasn't just, all right, well, what can I do for you at work? Hey, how's Addie? How are your kids? How, how's things at home? Are you doing okay? Hey, it was a shit call last week, but you handled it like a boss. Are you doing okay? And, and you're a hundred percent correct. That pays dividends long into the future because if, if the troops feel supported, they're going to, go out and, and help the community. But number two, they're going to, they're going to do the right thing for the right reasons. So agreed. And, uh, you know, I always put it like, like you said, the basics, treat people as you want to be treated. 
you know, that, that's it. it. I mean, that's as basic as it gets. And you learn that before kindergarten. And, uh, you know, and the other thing, like what I do is, you know, a lot of admins are, I hear about this and my sheriff is certainly this way and I'm not meaning to throw him under the bus, but, uh, you know, when it comes to, you know, range training or DTs and, and things like that, you know, like there's those executive level classes, right. you know, that, or that the only the brass ones. goes to absolutely, you know, and oftentimes they're on January or December 31st because you need it before the first of the year, you know, like bullshit. Yeah. I, I, right before I, I'm looking at myself in the, in the uh, computer screen and I'm, I'm a little sunburnt because I just spent three hours out on the range with my guys before I came here. You know, I was out picking up brass, resetting targets, putting tape over targets, you know, because I'm one of them, you know, and you know, it's like that, that, that I'm a huge fan and proponent of lead by example. And every, every single one of us is replaceable. And when I leave here, when I retire, I want it to be an easy decision for, for the sheriff for the next sheriff, whoever, to replace me. I, I want my people to have as much or more knowledge as me. So when it's time for them to move up, whether it's Sergeant FTO, whatever, like, like it's an easy transition for them. And that's, that's what we should all be striving for. You know, I mean, I, I see sergeants that, you know, get stuck in that position like for 15 years and like, and they suck. Like they literally just drive around all night and waste gas and, and you try to make them retire somehow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but Kevin, Kevin, yeah, but Kevin, why do you, you know, don't you agree though? Like, and, and that sounds ideal as to, um, it, you know, exactly why I titled my course, what I titled it as far as this ivory tower thing. It's that separation that's so easily avoidable. Mm-hmm. I could fill classrooms with hundreds of students if I called it supervision 101. Everybody is so nervous when they hear something that's not traditional, right? And then, you, and then I counsel people from all over the country when I help them on their promotional processes. And they always hit me with that same question. Well, how do I answer the question about how am I not going to be one of the boys anymore? And you know what I always laugh at? I said, well, who says that you can't be one of the boys anymore? Mm-hmm. Of, of course, there's organizational and administrative responsibilities. But you know what I laugh at? I said, look no further than the commander in chief. And when they run for president, what do they run on a platform? I'm an everyday Joe. So it's okay for the president of our country to want to assimilate with the common fella, but yet in policing, we're supposed to somehow, you know, separate and segregate ourselves. So that's why I call it the ivory tower thing. And there's administrations all over the country that are scared to death to have that type of training because I don't call it training. I call it leadership development. Yeah. And, uh, you know, George introduced me to Simon Sinek. And one of the things he says is um, a lot of people – when they get promoted, they're really good at their job. So that's what gets them promoted. But then when they get promoted, no one taught them how to supervise. No one taught them like how to maintain, no like kidding. you said, yeah. what was that? Sorry. I said, no kidding. Yeah. yeah. Spot on. Yep, exactly. So then you get, you know, stuck with it. And I remember, you know, we used to do choir practice on my squad and we would go out to get dinner and, and have a few drinks or whatever. And I invited my sergeants and they're like, Oh no, 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 I can't do that. Like, why not? You can't have dinner and, and like have a drink and just BS for a minute. You can't like take off those stripes. It's like, why? What, what is, like, what did I do? To, what did I do to you? Kind of thing. Right. Right. Exactly. And it's imagine if, you know, okay, maybe he's worried like, Oh, it might get a little wild. 
nothing's going to get wild at dinner. Like just sit down and BS with us and like get to know your people just a little bit more than the 12 hours we're stuck on the road together. Like, you know, well, let me, but, but I can answer you right there. If, if you like Simon Sinek, you should also look at Brene Brown. She's very, she's so smart. And yes. she yeah. referenced, and I stole from her book, uh, Dare to Lead. She uses this great reference, 1948. And no, I'm not kidding you. 1948. The, the manual for the Air Force had 147 references to humanness, even if that's a word, and the feelings of people, talking about it at the operational level. Do you know how many references the 2020 version has? None. Zero. And now you tell me what's the excuse for that. This is in the age of accreditation, graduate level degrees, advanced training. I'm just trying to tell you, fellas, listen, I, I never said I'm the smartest guy in this game. And, there, and, and just amongst you guys, there's experiences you guys have had that I haven't. And, and 10,000 square miles. I don't even know what that looks like. What I'm, what Come I'm out, tell, I'll take you for a tour. But I'll, t- I'll tell you right now, man, uh, I'm smart enough to know that they had it right in 1948. So everybody thinks I'm batshit crazy when I teach. And I say, you want to know what the answers are for our future? All you have to do is look what's happened behind us. Mm-hmm. Just that simple. It's funny because like my department, up until my promotion, the supervisors that got promoted were just handed the car keys. Here you go. Figure it out. Um, They just recently changed and kind of adopted a one day training in in house where it's going over different general orders, what forms to fill out. And then you ride for part of the day with another sergeant. Um, And then, then in a couple of weeks, you might go to first line supervisor. I was told on my promotion by a upper level person, literally just sworn in, took my oath and told you keep your guys under you. You keep a thumb under them. And I had him for a boss Mm -hmm. and I legitimately looked at the whole situation and was dumbfounded. I got promoted. I was on day shift for two weeks and then got bumped to third shift. I was lowest senior and I was with my wife and I got invited to a barbecue at one of my guys' houses I took that as number one, kind of an honor because most of the time guys don't want to hang out with their bosses, but I was so new. I want to know more. So my wife and I went and it was a phenomenal time. That's, that's breaking bread. Even as a patrol guy, typically you're breaking bread with your brother and sister officer. You have to do that, especially as a, as a, as a road boss or a a low level management, we'll call, I call it. You got to take time with your guys. The other night we had a shit night and I said, you know, we have one Dunkin' Donuts that's open 24 hours, about a dozen donuts. And we had with dispatch, uh, 11 people working, you know, we're, we're a mid-sized town. And one of the new people literally just off FTO all of like two months came up to me and says, Hey, I I just want to say thank you. And she had, she had a bad night. It was just a lot of calls and she was dealing with paperwork. She goes, I've never had somebody do that for me. You're 25 years old. How have you not had someone, even outside of police work, do that for you? You can be an instrument of change in your position. You just have to capitalize on those opportunities and and take the initiative. You really do. Yeah, I think, you know, this, the ivory tower, the separation thing, it really leads to so much negativity. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've had a supervisor where I don't want to go to them with a question or with a problem because I know... I'm just going to get negativity back. There's no, you know, the open door policy is going to be slammed in your face as soon as you walk into that, that doorway. 
And I think everything you guys are saying, Kevin, I remember when we talked the first time you were talking about um, you have that barbecue with your guys, like, Mm -hmm. you know, to know that, that the boss is there, not just as an authoritative figure, you know, just speaks volumes, speaks volumes. And, and it, it kind of gives itself back tenfold because now when I have a boss that is open and I know that, Hey, I can ask him questions and I don't have to worry about any discipline coming from it or whatever, it makes me want to do more. But if I'm just, you know, kind of skating, if, if I am feared or if I'm fearful of having to do my eight and skate as Tom calls it, um, because I don't want to get in any more trouble, you know, I don't want to accumulate more paper, you know, cause I know you don't have my back. It's, it's makes such a diff. It's such a different work environment. Well, you know what? I mean, selfishly, if Kevin's doing something like that, selfishly, you know what else that you can do? You get to see your people outside of the uniform and outside of the work environment. Mm-hmm. And you get to uncover talents and uncover abilities that they have that you wouldn't have known because they never had the chance to exhibit it. You can watch somebody that maybe you didn't know as an artist. You could watch somebody that you didn't know was handy with a wrench. You could watch somebody and watch the way they interact with their children where at work they might be a cynical, salty bastard, but you turn around and say, holy cow, I didn't know they have a special needs child. Look at the way they interact with them. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yep, 100%. Yep, that's great. I mean, we, I've had instances with supervisors where that's happened, and I was like, oh, this guy's just a prick. And then you see him off duty. It's like, whoa, wait a second. This is a totally different side of him. Like, I, I like this guy now. And then, like, that alone breaks the ice. And now it just, like, creates new relationships that you may not have had with that guy because at work he's one way, but at home he's another. And then you're like, well, we can kind of break into that a little bit more. You're absolutely right. So as a supervisor, what do you guys do to kind of keep your troops motivated? Like right now, it's a rough time to be a cop. A lot of guys just don't want to keep doing this. So what have you done to either keep morale high if it's already there, and if it's already there, my hat's off to you, or build it if it's not there? And how do you guys kind of keep that train going? You know, it's, it's a lot easier to keep morale up than to pick it up once it's down. Um, I mean, I fought that my first probably four years as a captain. Um, everybody was afraid of our former sheriff and under sheriff. And um, I mean, because they were, they were just those people that, that you hated to work for. And um, so right off the bat, you know, I, I, I started hosting the barbecue out at my house and, you know, thankfully I'm, I'm, I'm blessed. I live, you know, kind of rural. I have three acres I'm two miles down a dirt road. Like you can come out, you can let your hair down. You can do whatever the fuck you want and nobody cares. You I, know, I'm up for a field trip. I'm just saying <laughs> it might take me a minute, but I'm on my way. You know, and, and I butt up my property butts up against um, public lands out here that we have. So I literally have millions of acres out behind my house that just nobody cares what you do. We can go up in the Hills. We can shoot, we can do whatever. And I, and I hope I have, excuse me. I host people all the time. And, um, and we just do that. We, we get on dirt bikes or side-by-sides or whatever, and we just go up in the hills and we ride, we shoot, we, you know, just bullshit and, and get to know each other. And, um, you know, and, and over time, you know, people started coming out of their shells. And, you know, like Tom said, you find out who your artists are, your mechanics, your, you know, it's funny. We had, we had a, uh, uh, an awning break and, um, you know, we had, a, I had a guy go over and, he just got in my scrap pile of metal and pulled out my welder and just started fixing shit. And like, yeah, this kid is just like brand new out of the, out of the Navy. I think um, nobody really knew his, his first name even yet. And every, and all of a sudden it's like, Holy shit, Chapman can weld. 
you know, like right on, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and, you know, and now he, he helps people build all sorts of shit. At the same time, I get that, you know, being in a rural, a smaller area, it's a lot easier for me to do that. I can't imagine what the number two for NYPD does, you know, or how he would be welcomed, you know, or how often his people even see him. Um, so, you know, I consider it a blessing that, that, you know, I live rural and, and I have a small agency. You know what I laugh at you? So you hear a guy like Kevin say something like that about like NYPD. And I understand I take his uh, reference quite well. Um, I could tell you this much. It's part of the block that I teach. When Joe Seals was killed um, from Jersey City, he was gunned down like a, basically a, demer- a domestic terrorist situation in Jersey City right outside of New York City, right? And you see, you talk about all these large urban departments, these large city departments that come together and line the streets shoulder to shoulder, patch to patch. So I laugh when I say, not comedically, I laugh when I say, look at the irony behind this. You know, something tragic happens and we're able to move mountains, right? We're able to all come together and do our thing. So why can't the number two for NYPD do something that's a fraternal thing, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you can, it's just, so you, it goes to show what a gentleman you are. You know, you have the humility saying, well, you're attributing it to your landscape. But I say you take the wrong person and put them into your landscape. They're still going to be about themselves. Um, that that's the character that you have. That's why you're doing what you're doing. And I commend you for it. I wish we had more like you out this way. Um, but that's what I mean. We're, it's just, we're self-centered at, and we always come with the reason why we can't do those things. Uh, where all I will point to is like the unity tour is one, like all these guys get together and they go down to Washington, DC, thousands and thousands. And I'm like, so what's holding us back from coming up with the Sunday barbecue? I mean, I, I you tell, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying I have the answer I'm saying, but I, I would just love to, be tasked with why not we literally had our whole department come together for fire extinguisher training because it was mandated and it was the biggest joke we're like man we can get a whole department together to learn how to squeeze a a trigger on a fire extinguisher (laughs) but we can't get everybody together to do some type of you know fishing derby or something i just don't understand it yeah that's that's spot on spot on and i was just thinking last weekend at my agency we had everybody had their days canceled off or their days off canceled um because of a big event we had coming through the city. So we've had everyone from the chief down to our part-time reserves there because we needed all hands on deck. I bet. And again, but you know, when's the last time now I, I can't say too much about my chief cause he's brand new, but when's the last time there was that kind of outpouring for something not work related, you know, like you said, like a, like a company cookout or something like that. And I think it just comes to the culture that has been kind of permeated and made um, where it just doesn't exist. Everyone, because like, you know, we have like a policeman's ball and I will tell you probably 20% show up. And when you ask the 80% that don't show up, Hey, why didn't you go to that? Oh, because it's so much brass. They don't care about us. Like, why am I going to show up and do that for them? And it's like, you know, it needs the whole thing, the whole organization. And by organization, I mean, policing not my specific organization needs to change because that's just the mindset from jump is that oh it's admin you know it's it's a dog and pony show i don't want to be a part of it but i think that also goes to the the culture of of your agency to to 90 percent of the issues my department right now morale is I, i i can't even say it's in the basement it's in the bedrock um we've we've had a lot of issues we had a suicide death and nothing has changed. Um, COVID then happened and it got exponentially worse. There is a, a massive divide between all of our divisions. 
and as a, as a supervisor, it's very difficult to try to put the frontline people's minds at ease when they see another sergeant, not me, got a five-day suspension for swearing on a body cam on an investigation that started on a use of force. They, they, they don't, if you feel supported, the guys will come, the guys and girls will come. Um, but I also think it, it's the culture and the community of that agency. And unfortunately, if you have ineffective leadership, you're going to have these issues and it's only going to get worse. You could have the best leader in the world come in clean slate, but because it's so ingrained, it's going to take so long to change the mindset. It, it really is in my department, basically, fuck you, pay me. If I'm not getting paid, I'm not coming to it. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, I will give credit. My department's admin is doing an award ceremony because they couldn't do anything under COVID. So they're giving out all the uh, earned awards coming up this week. And I'm going to be going, I'm not getting paid, but I want to see my group because I put them in for an award. I don't even know if they got it, but I want to be there in case they do. Um, that a lot of times, unfortunately, the culture now is, you know, no one claps for each other. No one is happy for each other. They're out with daggers trying to take each other down for something, you know, an SRO spot. Or, well, why'd you get traffic? Why'd you get this class? Well, that, that goes to the culture of your community. That's, that's incumbent on the up-and-coming leaders to start that change. It may not come from the top, but to Simon Sinek's thing, you can look to your left and look to your right. You're now a leader, so start, start taking care of your people. Absolutely. And, and you know, as a leader you know, or, or a member of admin, the buck kind of stops with you, both at the community level and at the troop level. You know, it, it's okay to fuck up. It's okay to make a mistake or make the wrong decision or whatever, but you got to own it. You got to own it imme- immediately. And, and, you know, if it merits an apology, you got to apologize to those guys and you got to move the fuck on and you got to prove that you're better than that. And, um, and if you guys mess up, I mean, it's a, it's that whole, you know, praise in public, you know, um, whatever in private, um, discipline in private. Um, that's absolutely true. But if you got to discipline somebody, once it's done, it's done. Mm-hmm. Like, like, don't, like, don't hold that like, grudge. Absolutely. Move on. Um, you know, I, I can't, I can't remember how many times back in the day that, uh, you know, I, I had a sergeant who or, or scheduling sergeant I, I always seemed to piss her off. And we had this, we had this, um, we called it the super secret probation shift. And, uh, uh, like you literally did uh, an eight hour day shift from seven to three, came back at 11 that night and then came back oh. again at seven the next morning. Oh, so, or sorry, not at seven the next morning at three the next afternoon. So every eight hours you were working. And that was your, that was your work week, five days in a row in, you know, for three months. And, uh, and Ooh. she used to do it all the time just to fuck with people. And, uh, and I did it for nine months straight. And finally, you know, and I, I was, I was a relatively, you know, new guy at a couple of years on. And, uh, you know, finally one of the, uh, the union guys was like, you know, if you want us to step in, we can step in, man. And, you know, and I was fresh out of the military and I was like, fuck her. I'll beat her. You know, like, like, like she, she's not going to kick my ass. And uh, she did, but I never, I never let her know it. <laughs> right, right. Um, all right. So we hit, 
the time. I think Tom, you gotta, you gotta dip out. Yeah. Okay. Well, I do want to thank you for your time. Um, definitely a lot of insight. I wish I could have gotten more from you, but um, you know, we'll, we'll probably end up doing this again. Um, Cause I'm sure there, there's a lot of stuff from, from your side that I really want to get. So thank you very much for your time. Um, your new book that's just coming out. What is it and where can we find it? So uh, it's the title of it is Kapakaze. Um, obviously it's coined after the Japanese kamikaze pilots and that the way that we're doing things is we just discussed with the gentleman here, um, you know, is literally like a kamikaze mission, whether you're getting into the field or whether you're in the field. So I think that, you know, collectively from within, I think we could do a better job at taking care of each other and certainly advertising our message for the public abroad and uh, trying to appease the right people. How's that? Um, you can find it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Uh, it's officially being released July 1st. It'll be shipped out. The audible version uh, is being completed as we speak um, in a studio. So I'm looking forward to doing that. But like I said, I, I, I'm really, I'm, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to even come on here to meet you guys um, virtually, albeit, uh, and I'm sorry for the camera part that's not working. But like I said, I, I'd love to keep the dialogue going. If I could ever help um, any of you guys, you know, individually, if, you, if there's anything I could do for you guys, it, the pleasure would be mine. Uh, feel free, let me know, reach out to me. I guarantee a response. And, uh, and again, man, be safe, take care of those that, you know, uh, 10,000 square miles. I can't wait to tell my buddies that. I'm going to say, yeah, listen, I was talking to number two, 10,000 square miles when I'm bitching about, you know, our 60 something here. So, um, so uh, that was awesome. But uh, imagine a hundred mile one way code three response. I'm actually not going to imagine that. Uh, <laughs> you get, you get so I bored. Actually wanna, I actually want to feel cool what I do. All right. So, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Um, now listen, it's, uh, it's so nice meeting you guys. Like I said, if I could ever do anything to help you guys, please don't hesitate to reach out. Yeah. Vice versa. Yeah. Okay. Thanks All a right, lot, thank Tom. You. Thank you guys. All right. Very cool. And hopefully Lamont will finish with his, uh, his court in a minute and he can take uh, Tom's space. But um, so, yeah, we just had that little interlude. Um, but I want to go back to what George said about extreme ownership. You know, when something goes wrong as a supervisor, you got to own it. Um, I think that's key as the leader. And we can, we can I'm going to keep like citing Simon because I've just been listening to him for nonstop for two months now. When something happens, good, right? The sergeant's right there, or not, not just sergeant, but the boss is right in front. He's, he's getting all the pictures taken, you know, hey, look what we did. When something goes bad, he either hides in the back or he's the first one to condemn whatever happened. And see, and that's where it's got to change. Yep. You know, if sure, the sheriff, you know, especially as an elected official, the sheriff always has to come first. Like, like that, that's just never going to change. That's any politician anywhere, I think. But, uh, but that said... That, that's up to like people like me to let the sheriff have his limelight, but to also grab whoever, you know, it did great, you know, grab that deputy and take them up with you and just hold them there, you know, and a lot of cops don't like that, but mm -hmm. a lot do. And, and even if they don't like it, they still feel that appreciation and they still know that the community is going to hear about their efforts and what they did. Um, and, you know, and in the alternative, if shit goes to hell, Nah, that deputy sits in the back and you stand up and you take it. Yep. Right. That's the part yep. that, you know, I, like you said, cops are, are very camera shy, uh, literally and figuratively. If something, if I do something great, I don't want my picture all over the place. Just like, you know, pat me on the back and I'm good. That's all I need. But the, the negative part, when things go bad, don't throw your people under the bus, be willing to stand there with them. 
but that that's also again kind of the culture but it it as a leader to your point kevin the buck stops with me if my guys do a great job guess what they're getting the credit because they did the work i'm just there to kind of basically be the orchestra conductor yeah absolutely If, if there's a mistake and and nine times out of 10, the guy's going to come to you and say, Hey, especially in Senex trusting teams, uh, the, the infinite mindset, they'll come to you first. And that's where you can get ahead of it. You can help them. But it's also that point of when a higher up goes, Hey, what happened? I made a, I made a bad call. It it wasn't this officer's fault. It was mine. Um, And being honest, because all too often, at least in my agency, We've had some calls by sergeants that are probably, you sit there and you're like, what? And then they throw the guy under the bus who is just following the order. If you give an order as a supervisor, your name's in that report. I've had bosses before getting promoted who said, well, yeah, you did, you're doing this, but you're not putting my name in that report. Mm-hmm. No, that, that's not how this works. You ordered me to do something. I can't determine it's, it's, you know, illegal or, and it's not immoral, your name's going in that report. And cause that's a direct order. You own that. Mm-hmm. Um, but all too often there are bosses who should have never been promoted, who are, you know, just hammering guys and girls. And unfortunately to those who are listening, who are not supervisors as a boss, I'm sorry. Cause I know what it's like. You hate dread it. You know, you dread going to work. Mm-hmm. But there are bosses who care, who, who will move heaven and earth to help you, even if you're not theirs. You know, you, you're not in their group. Do the check-in, especially if it's somebody who did something great. Give an, give an attaboy, even if it's not your person. Give an attaboy. But especially in, because in, my wife and I started a nonprofit, Project 109, for mental health. When our people are going on these traumatic calls, there's no follow-up. Mm-hmm. The higher-ups may not even know. So that's incumbent on you as their supervisor or as a supervisor working that shift to say, hey, are you okay? Can I get you any services? I, you know, empathy, you know, as Tom had, had expressed, that is huge. All too often, we, we just kind of go, eh, they'll be fine. No, no. We, we need to change that culturally. We, we yeah. have to. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, and, and so you went back to, or you, you mentioned that, you know, somebody that, you know, made a decision that makes you kind of go, you know, what the hell, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I get that. But at the same time, I'd rather have somebody that makes, you know, kind of a, a, a questionable decision than no decision at all. You know, right. I, you know, th- those, those troops on the street, you know, they deserve better than that. And when, when you just have somebody that, has to keep following the chain up mm-hmm. further and further mm-hmm. to get that decision. Yeah. Yeah, that's bullshit. And, and when, you know, like cool. when I, my captains are out of town or something, you know, and the, the sergeants call me and I'm like, I'm like, but make I, a decision. No, even like, if it's the wrong decision, like make it and then we'll deal with it. But I, like we had a situation that the patrol guys are sitting there going like, no, Sarge, no, this is a bad idea. No bad idea. And the decision was still made. Mm-hmm. Like, listen to your people. Like some of the best stuff is going to come from the unlikeliest places. So be open to it. Don't sit here and think, you know, everything. Right there. Absolutely. I don't. You're, you're right. Um, there was a time we had 
special event. And um, we were in the bar district and that was my zone and I knew my zone. And um, I was sitting there like before the bars let out and I'm like, this is bad. I was like, we have more people than usual. And I looked at the screen and we had nobody 10, eight, or we didn't have enough people. So I called my Sergeant who was across town getting coffee and with uh, more leadership. And I said, Hey Sarge, um, <clears throat> you're probably going to want to get some more people over here. I'm like, when these bars let out, it's going to be bad. And she's like, no, 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 we're fine. Not, not that she looked at, she wasn't there. Not that they, you know, were uh, looking at the screens like, no, 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 we're fine. Sure enough, three o'clock comes out, the bars let out and it, it was like a mini riot fights everywhere. Uh, a car went the wrong way down a one way smashed into this like Mercedes, more fights. Uh, one guy. Sandwich. Yeah, totally bad. And then I'm, I'm on the radio going, Sarge, you're going to get here because it's getting bad. And I wasn't even the senior guy on the squad. I was like, Sarge, you need to get here. So she gets there. 15 minutes later, as things finally are starting to die down. And she's like, Oh, well, the first thing she did when she stepped on scene, we had a, we had a fight where a guy's head was like, kind of, it, it was bad. Like he had orbital fracture in his eye and stuff and he looked bad and she goes, he's going to jail. I'm like, that's the victim. I was like, you don't even know what's going on, but the, because we got hands on someone, you're saying he goes to jail. I was like, no, I was like, you're yeah, exactly. I was like, what, what is going on here? So exactly what you're saying the, on another flip side of that though, we had a, um, an event and the top dog, our chief made a decision. And it went to complete shit. So the next day in briefing, he goes, I fucked up. He's like, that was a bad decision. I shouldn't have done that. And I own that. And he's, this chief has done that several times where he said, you know what? That's on me. That's my bad. And it's from sitting in front of him and hearing him say that and being kind of the, uh, you know, the recipient of the, the bad decision, it felt so much better than him, you know, him going, you know, like pretending it didn't happen. By him right. saying that was on me, my bad guys. Or going, That's, oh, this is patrol's fault because we've right. gotten that one. Of course, of course. It's always patrol's fault. Um, just him owning that made me go, okay, that takes some of the burden off me. I feel better that I didn't screw that up. And from a guy on the street, it that speaks volumes. Well, it's it's funny, Ten Eight, because you know, you posted a meme of uh basically the drunk and the sergeant passing it off. Yeah. And someone had commented. And I don't know who it was, but they're like, oh, there's, there's no sergeants that would, that would own that. My, one of my old group members, one of my subordinates sent it to me. And the worst part is that very night I came across a guy who was passed out. He blew like a 0.23, like he was obliterated. And I saw the cop and he goes, you know, and my own guys were sitting there going, all right, you know, I'm taking it. I said, why? I caught it. I clean it. It's mine. Your badge is not broken you can be a supervisor and still make arrests. Yeah. Um, we're unfortunately right now, my culture in my department is, well, the sergeants and supervisors are the conductors. You are not part of the orchestra. Well, on third shift and there's nine people working and you have a riot. Guess what? I'm not just going to let my guys take a beating. I'm getting in there with them. Right. Um, you can handle calls for service. You can start stepping up in either triaging, clearing guys off of stuff, or you can jump into the mix and start lightening the load. Yes. Find work, put in right. work. Yeah. Right. So we have a lot of gold mines um, out in our area. Um, our area of, of the state is actually the second or third um, largest producer of gold in the world. And, uh, you know, at some of these mines, they have, you know, these big like 
320 ton um, dump trucks. I mean, they literally weigh a million pounds. And, uh, you know, on the same roads that, that these trucks drive around on, you know, there's also pickups and things like that. And there's, you know, there's rules for the road and things like that, that they have out there. But every now and then you end up with an accident. And um, about two years ago, we had a, uh, one of these trucks run over a van with nine people in it. And, and, and it's literally like watching, I mean, it's, it's bigger than a monster truck, just crushing mm-hmm. these, mm-hmm. you know, these cars. And, uh, you know, the tires alone are like 12 feet tall. And uh, thankfully, it was a slow motion thing. And nine of the 12, or excuse me, 10 of the 12 were able to get out. Um, the driver and front passenger um, didn't make it. Um, but it was, it was probably one of the most gruesome um, injuries or uh, scenes that I've ever seen. And, um, you know, I had everybody from a brand new guy to a brand new sergeant, like three days of stripes on. And, and you know, and I get out there and I'm just like, you know, all right, like, I've never seen this. I, I know you guys will probably never see this again. I said, but, you know, this sucks. But I'm here. I'm, I'm going to dive in with you and then we'll do this together. And uh, I ended up taking, you know, one of the reports for the decedents and then um, my detective took the other report. Um, but I mean, like there was it was such a gruesome scene that um, and I don't want to bother everybody with it. But, you know, like like it's just shit that you will never unsee or unsmell mm-hmm. or, you know, things like that. And uh, and I was just like, there's no way I'm leaving these guys alone. I mean, I, I could have pulled that card and been like. This sucks, but see ya. Yep. Yeah, right. sure, sure. I was like, I, I was like, get coffee. Bye. Absolutely. You know, but uh, I was like, nope, I'm here till the end. And um, afterwards, I'm going to find somebody that can do a schism. And, you know, we, we will debrief the shit out of this until we all feel better. But that's, um, that's also amazing to hear from the mental health side. Because for whatever reason, in, in kind of the Northeast, they're not doing critical incident stress debriefs. They, they, oh, they don't. And, and, and we, we never did. Um, it, it's been pretty new here. And so in 2010, I was in a shooting and I, I took a round to the helmet, a 30, 30 odd six round to the helmet. And, uh, you know, afterwards everybody was just kind of like, Holy shit. You yeah, like that. Damn. Like you survived that. And I was like, yeah. And, uh, one of the old crusty guys was like, how fucking hard is it just to hand him a bottle of whiskey and just let him drink it and, and go to sleep. And I looked at him and I was like, bro, that's like, that died in the seventies. Yeah. Like, like, mm-hmm. like we got to take better care of each other than that. Yeah. Like, like you want to give me a bottle of whiskey? Cool. Like I'll take it, but I'm going to put it on the shelf until I'm good. You know, that's, and, that's that is the perpetuating of unfortunately the, the negative coping skills. Absolutely. That, that mental health creates, you know, it's amazing to hear, especially someone who's in command worrying about their guys and recognizing the old way of doing things didn't work then. And it isn't going to work now. Right. Um, especially the, the, the newer generation coming up, the, the millennial, it's a whole different ball game mm-hmm. with these kids. And I, I'm sorry, anybody listen, if I offend you, well, too fucking bad, but you're, you're a younger generation. They're more in tune with their feelings than I am than even my wife, who's younger than me. As a leader, as a supervisor, that creates a whole host of issues, though, too, because they're more apt to go talk to somebody versus the crusty old supervisor or the crusty old patrolman who's been there forever. Yeah, absolutely. And 
No, go ahead. No, I was going to say, you know, you, you're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, it, it, everybody pays attention. Everybody watches that police one. And, you know, at, you know, every year during, you know, police Memorial week, you know, everybody sees and more and more people are taking, paying attention that, you know, cops die by their hand more than anything else. You know, it used to be car accidents, yep. you know, now car accidents aren't even a big deal anymore for us, you know? And, um, so, so it, you know, we have to start paying attention to that. And when one thing that I learned, you know, you know, just a couple of years ago is, especially with these millennials is, you know, a critical incident is different for everybody. You know, we had a guy that ended up, I mean, it, it wasn't a pursuit, but you know, he was, he was kind of chasing somebody trying to catch up to him. You know, he was out in the Hills one night and, and uh, he was in an area where he'd previously found some stolen vehicles dumped and he sees some headlights. So he starts moving towards those headlights and uh, the car takes off and he finally gets to a road and a, a decent road, I should say. And, uh, and he's going down the road and, and, and like, he can't find the car anymore. So um, he, you know, he slows down and all of a sudden he kind of turns to his right and he sees, you know, an accident off to his right. And he realizes that, fuck, this thing just rolled and he gets out. Um, passenger, you know, is, is dead on the scene. You know, the driver's just kind of walking around, walking wounded type thing. And that ruined his world. Like, 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 you know, I, I don't know if, you know, I've ever been in something, you know, similar to that, but you know, I've had my critical incidents and I don't know that that would have necessarily been a trigger for me, but it absolutely was for him. And as leaders, we need to, we need to realize that. And, and no matter what critical incident is for that person, we need to take those steps to make sure that they get their mind healthy and that they keep their mind healthy. And whether it's setting them up with, you know, a counselor or just a peer to peer type event, yep. um, like, like we got to do something to, to mm -hmm. be better. Yeah. One of the things, and, and I wish Tom was here for this because he could say it so much more uh, eloquently than I can. Um, one of the things that I really like about his program is talking about knowing your people, you know, you're as, as the boss, you are around, the, especially first line, if you're a sergeant for sure you know your people probably better than they do probably better than their spouse does because you see them probably more often when you can see that something has impacted and affected them to that point where you can see that shift. It's so important and it's, it's detrimental to not notice it. So if you see it and don't say anything that's so detrimental to them, or, or like you were saying in your first story about passing the bottle of whiskey, like, you know, that, that's just, almost asinine at this stage in the game. Like, you know, Absolutely. we're, 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 we're talking about changing culture. The culture for mental health and in, in first responders has changed. I, I, I believe that the entire paradigm shift has happened. Um, and now we're starting to play catch up and things are starting to get implemented. Things like project 109 and so on. So that's good. But the fact that I know that there's still some old level and old minds thinking that no, 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 they're fine. They'll get through it on their own. We got to cut that out as a boss, as a leader, you need to cut that shit. Yeah. But 100%. here's the thing, even if they, even if they could get through it on their own and, you know, say it was one of your peer to peer counselors or one of your SISM guys, you know, and you know that they have, you know, the knowledge to get through it and you know that they have, they know what they need to do to get through it. Why should they have to? Nobody well, should have to do that to do shit. Alone. Alone. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. It, absolutely. You know, um, you know, and I, I got lucky in my shooting that I had a, a wife that, 
uh, she was a nurse, but she, um, she had, I guess, specialized skills in um, mental health. And, um, you know, she helped me through it. And um, there's still days where, um, like, I, I probably didn't go see a counselor for, um, I don't know, eight, nine years after the shooting. And uh, then one day, you know, I just, I just, I just felt off, you know, and, uh, and I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go talk to somebody. And what that means for us is driving 170 miles, mm-hmm. you know, be, be, because I don't, I don't have anybody in my yeah. community that, that ha- has that, you know, I mean, and, and the guy I see, um, he's just a, uh, he's a PhD. Um, he's not an MD. Um, but, um, you know, we don't have anybody of that caliber here in my town. But even if we did, I don't know that I would trust them, you know, and, and that's just that inherent cop thing that we don't trust people um, because I, I live in such a small town, you know, Facebook politics or Facebook gossip, yeah, you know, sure. gets spread quick. And even if somebody just saw me walking into an office like that, oh, you know, are they doing? That, oh, then the rumors start flying. Absolutely. Absolutely. Then I'm not safe at work and, you know, and, and, Oh, should he have a gun? And you know, mm, yeah. So I I choose to drive 170 miles. Yeah, that's crazy. It makes me kind of going totally different, but it makes me think of The Sopranos, where Tony Soprano, the mob boss, you know, he's seeking mental health help, and everyone that's under him goes, "Oh, well, is he fit to lead?" I mean, we're not mobsters, but you can still take that same kind of stigma and apply it to what we're doing. Like, you know, think of all the things we have access to, all the things we see. And that's kind of what the stigma is. Are you fit to be in this position? And it's kind of crazy when you think about it, but the way you said it about having to travel so far to avoid that, that's immediately where my mind went. But, yeah. but that said, I'll also throw out that, you know, I will talk about going to see Dr. Hennett's to anybody and everybody because yes. I want, because yes. I want my guys to know that it's okay. Mm-hmm. Normalize and, and the conversation. Absolutely. Say, it's okay absolutely. To go talk to somebody. It's okay to get help. Absolutely. Um, and you know, you know, a project uh, is a Valhalla um, came out with all these new, you know, mental health awareness shirts. You know, like I buy them, I wear them. I don't think I'm wearing one today, but like I wear them, you know, under my, my shirts and, and I, I, I wear them to, you know, different events around the community because I want my people to see me wearing that stuff and, and just know that it's okay. And whether they judge me or not and think whatever they think, I don't care. Yeah. I mean, I, I got, <laughs> I got a year and a half till retirement. Um, <laughs> but if they want to be so closed minded, they will never get ahead. Yeah. And I will tell them that to their face. Well, I mean, that's the same point. My wife and I started a nonprofit for first responders because the mental health side of things here is just so it's, it's lacking. So we have a a clinical counselor, we have peer stuff. And the same token is you want to lead by example, nobody else is doing it. So my wife and I said, no, we're going to do it. Um, Because the same token is, it's very different to see the Facebook post of a department across the country and say, Oh, wow, that that really sucks. We lost a we lost a good officer to their own hand. It's even worse when it's your home. Um, and living through that experience, I wish that on no one. Mm-hmm. And I never want to see an officer feel that that is, is the final option. Right. Um, and, and that's, that's unfortunate. We as supervisors can create an environment where someone says, Hey, I'm, I'm really having a hard time. Okay. We can get you some help. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the same token is we also cannot punish or diminish them. You can't take punitive action against somebody who's asking for help. No, absolutely. All too often, at least up this way, they're forced out. Oh, you're unfit for duty. Mm. There's the door. Um, So upper management needs to do a better job of trying to help the frontline people, the mid-level management to recognize the signs and symptoms, but also to take better care of our, our people. Because it's one of these things where you, you can sit here and say, well, I, I worry about it. What have you done about it? Not up or shut up. Yeah. Um, and, yep. and, that's, and, um, and that's my mindset. That reminds me of Chicago PD. I, I talked about it on one of my shows recently. Uh, Chicago PD had an officer, a sergeant. I think he was a year away from retirement, but he put in to retire early and they said no. And he ended up committing suicide in the station. And the superintendent, I want to say, you know, he, he did the canned, oh, you know, this should never happen, blah, 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 blah. But one of the road sergeants was like, no, 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 no. If you really care, put, put up or shut up. And he like lambasted him in the news media. It was absolutely amazing. Um, it's exactly what you're saying. We um, just yesterday, actually, uh, we went to a dead body call and uh, it was the sergeant of, I don't know, 25 years. It was a guy with 10 years on myself with six and then uh, a younger guy than me, probably two years on. And we were all talking. Uh, the dead body was gone, but we were sitting there talking and they were talking about stress and they were talking about cumulative stress and post-traumatic stress and all this stuff. And the sergeant is part of our new wellness committee that's coming together um, where they're going to try to get services and, and things like that. And he's, and we were like, well, who's part of it? Cause you know, it's, it's like a, it's a new um, program. So we don't know. And he's like, Oh, well, we've got the chief, a deputy chief, a captain, two lieutenants and two sergeants. And the, yep. You, you just wasted your time. Exactly. Yeah, you just wasted your time. Yep. And the guy with 10 years on goes, so nobody that's working the road. And they're like, He's like, yeah, well, and like the fact that that was the immediate response. And the moment I said it, that was your response. I mean, that, that says so much. We, we have, we've had the process of a peer team. We've had supposedly a selection for it. We don't know who, um, which, which is mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the biggest thing is, and, and this was something that I realized much further into to the nonprofit though. Being a leader can also be a very lonely island. You're expected to take care of your troops. Well, who takes care of your leadership? It's a vacuum because now the next boss is only worried about themselves. And yeah, well, I got to worry about my guys, but I got a sergeant to do that. And I'm not knocking it, but that's what happens. Mental health affects all ranks, all ages. It doesn't matter who or where. But if you're going to start a mental health side of things, you have to have a representative of every division. I'm sorry. Cause look, I'm not traffic division. I'm not a detective. I'm not going to have things in common with them. I can still listen from, you know, cop to cop, but <laughs> the same token is I'm also not a Lieutenant. So if Lieutenant's having a hard time, who can they go talk to? Right. The same token is your patrol guys know who they can trust. And they're going to, they're going to have that, you know, sidebar conversation with their trusted people. But that doesn't excuse, excuse me, excuse getting professional help either. Um, but that's that's the, the the shift that we need to do yeah. is just get away from. Well, we've always done it that way. Yeah. Why? Those Why are the most cancerous to... words in law enforcement. 
Yep. Easily. Guys, I really, I would hate to, I hate to cut this short. We're going to do a part two. I've made this executive decision while we're talking. Um, I unfortunately do have to get ready for work for the evening. Be safe today. So um, before, as we're wrapping up, I just want to give you guys a chance to say anything you want to say in closing. Uh, Kevin, I'll go ahead with you. You know, in closing, I just say, you know, if, if leadership is something you want, you want to be a part of, maintain your focus on your people, um, on their well-being, uh, and everything about them. Everything's got to be about them. If you have anything self-serving about yourself, this isn't the job for you. Very good. I appreciate that. George, go ahead. Um, basically, thank you so much. It's been absolutely a pleasure meeting everybody here today. Um, the, the biggest thing is take care of your people, take care of your troops. Um, if you ever need anything from, from me, please reach out. Um, the same token is you want to be changed, get your servant style, push your broom, put in work. Your badge is not broken. And if anybody tells you it is, you might want to reevaluate. Very good. Very good. Again, uh, Kevin Malone, George Frannick, and previously we had Tom Rizzo. Lamont couldn't make it today. He was supposed to. He got caught, uh, caught up in court. That's fine. We'll do a part two. We'll get everyone involved and we'll continue this conversation. It was absolutely amazing. Thank you guys so much for your time. Everyone listening, stay tuned. Uh, we'll wrap this up. So you're in charge around here, is that fair to say? Absolutely, I'm the boss. Okay, so take us through a day in the life of the boss. Well, the first thing I do is talk to corporate, approve memos, lead a workshop, remember birthdays, direct workflow, my own bathroom, micromanage, promote synergy, hit on Deborah, get rejected, swallow sadness, send some faxes, call a sex line, cry deeply, demand a refund, eat a bagel, harassment lawsuit, no promotion. What an amazing conversation with some amazing leaders. If you want more information on them, hit me up on Instagram and I will try to pass their information along. Specifically though, I do have to give a shout out to Mr. Tom Rizzo from Street Cop Training. Guys, go buy his book. Go look up for it on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, all that. I got my copy. I cracked into it just a little bit. Uh, I got a lot going on, which I'll talk about in just a second. Um, so I haven't had a chance to really sit down and read it, but two paragraphs in and I'm like, this guy's way smarter than I am. So you're definitely going to want to check that out. All of them are going to be back for part two. And if anyone wants to add their two cents so you can be put into part two, you can either call the podcast at 352-610-1692. Again, 352-610-1692. Or uh, you can email me at the108podcast at gmail.com. Again, the108podcast at gmail.com. And, and tell me what you're thinking. Tell me what your thoughts are on leadership, the topics we talked about, or maybe you guys have an idea that you want us to talk about for next time. Give me your, give me your input. I definitely want to. And if you just so happen to be a supervisor, corporal and above, um, I want, I, you know, if you want to talk on the show, hit, up, hit me up and, uh, and let's get you on there. I love having all these different perspectives. It makes for a very good conversation and a good listening uh situation and experience for you guys listening as well so that's that to wrap up today we're going to talk about uh my code for check it's very personal um i just need to address the elephant in the room um or at least start the conversation i'm going to do a full-on code for check episode in the very near future but um i've been dealing with a lot of traumatic incidents over the past uh month as a lot of people know uh my sister passed away on july 12th following a very terrible asthma attack. 
It was sudden, it was unexpected, and it's been devastating. Um, I still haven't returned to work. Um, you know, I'm still recovering from something that happened at work several weeks ago, then this on top of it, plus everything that I was dealing with before that, uh, personally, professionally, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. I'm not, I'm not going to mince words. I'm not going to, you know, sit here and, and tell you that I'm okay. That would be, that would be a bold faced lie. Um, I've actually been seeing not one, but two therapists because I am that special. Um, I have an amazing supportive Instagram community that have been checking on me and, and whatnot is absolutely amazing. Complete strangers that have no idea who I am, who my sister was, uh, who my family is absolutely amazing. I appreciate it. Um, but really enough cannot be said about the amazing people in my life, my family, my close friends and, and my work colleagues. They've all been tremendous throughout this unbelievably hard time. Um, you know, it's, I don't know. I'm really without words. I keep telling everyone I have a million thoughts and zero thoughts at the exact same time. Um, so I really, um, I don't know what to say. Like I said, I'm going to try to set up a code for check episode, um, with, uh, with some of my resources that I've kind of gathered along the way, like a uh, snowball running down the hill. Uh, all these amazing mental health professionals that I've been talking to. Um, so that being said, I just, I had to bring it up. I had to talk to you guys about it. Um, you know, everyone said that I didn't need to get back on Instagram so quickly. I didn't have to do a podcast so soon. Like I felt bad not releasing this episode last week and everyone's like, dude, you're kidding, right? Like take your time. But the thing for me is I need to keep moving. I need to be active. I will do it. I have to do it. I need to do it. Goodbye. This has been a difficult year for me. Lots of disappointment. But if I keep my body moving and my mind occupied at all times, I will avoid falling into a bottomless pit of despair. So I did. I crawled out of my depressive little state and my brain's going nuts and I can't nail down a single thought. And I put together this week's show. So I hope you enjoyed it. The music for today's show was Can't Stop Bringing Me Down by Forever the Sickest Kids. Thank you to Logan Campbell for that idea. Uh, thing, uh, then it was Like a Boss by Slim Thug. Then Like a Boss by The Lonely Island. And we're going to finish it up in just a minute with the song Content by Bo Burnham. Coincidentally enough, Bo Burnham's uh, newest special, Inside, on Netflix right now, uh, was the last movie uh, I watched with my sister. And, uh, yeah. So the, you know, some of the songs, content, shit, um, goodbye. There are songs I've been listening to for the past few weeks. Um, this song is kind of on par with exactly how I'm feeling. So I'm going to play the whole thing. Hopefully you guys like it. If you've never listened to it, go check it out on Netflix. And all of Bo Burnham stuff is amazing, so go check it out. Uh, next week is going to be Drunk Cops Part... I'm sorry, Drunk Cops 3, Part 2, Sloppy Seconds. Uh, it's absolutely stupid. We were hammered. I wasn't that bad. The other two... Well, I don't know about Frank, but Ben and, and uh, Radio Waitress were just ridiculous. So if you haven't, go back and listen to Drunk Cops 3. Go listen to uh, the Grady Judd episode from a few weeks ago. All good stuff, guys. Um, I did say on Instagram that these were going to be my final episodes. I'll be honest, I don't know. I want to keep talking to you guys. I want to keep sharing stories and conversations, but I don't know. Hopefully next week I can have, uh, or maybe two weeks from now, I'll have a better idea. So we shall see. But until next time, friends, take care of each other. Stay safe. 10-8 out. Bye. If you'd have told me a year 
some content.